Thanks for, for inviting me to be part of Mark. I love the book of Mark. The book of Mark is absolutely fantastic. It's my favorite gospel. It's not my favorite book in the, the Bible, but as far as a book is concerned, it's absolutely fantastic. But before I get there, I want you to talk to one another. Can you do that? You're okay? You're, you're all right? We do do marriage counseling. If you need, but it's, it's, um, I, want, I want you to talk to the person next to you in groups. Give me two things. Just discuss two things that you think are really important for good friendship. Two things. Be it a word or two words. All right? Just have a chat. Just among. Yeah. So what do we got? Two words. Trust. Love. Love. It's just gorgeous. Just that sort of love that gets you. Yeah, that's all right. Love. Trust. Yeah. What else? Vulnerability. Oh, that's a powerful word. That's really, really good. Fantastic. Openness. Okay. Forgiveness. Okay, we'll go there probably next week. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's really good. I'll try not to steal anyone's thunder for next week. What else? Ah. What was, who said the L word? Sorry, not that L word. That L word. Loyalty. Yeah, fantastic. Well done. If I had a prize, I should have done what your dad doesn't bring a prize, shouldn't I? Throw lollies. So, hey, sorry, I forgot about that. Um, Paul will buy you something later. What's that? Fun, yeah, yeah, fun. And time, very interesting. Yeah, Lori, one more. Communication, fantastic. I'm going to talk about one of those words. It's, it's brilliant, actually, when you actually look at the Gospel of Mark. Mark, how many people watch, what, ever watched 24 on TV? Everything happens within 24 hours, you know, and it's one thing after another, and it's, you just, how the heck does that happen? Mark's, a gosp, Mark's the 24 of the Bible. He's, he's a storyteller. He loves telling a story. What we often do is we go to the Bible and read it for proposition. Mark's not a great writer as far as Greek's concerned. He's not a great language man. He's a great storyteller. And everything happens for a reason. He puts things in place because he's trying to tell you something. And we often think that the right answer is? Starts with J and ends and eases. What is it? <laughs> Jesus, thank you very much. But in this case, in Mark's case, actually, um, it's not about Jesus always. Although it is, someone once said that Mark is a passion narrative, the God, you know, the cross, with a very, very long introduction. You know, gets flipping fourteen chapters before he gets there. In many ways, we often miss what Mark's trying to say because we're waiting for what we think is the most important thing in the story, and as a result, we read past what is actually vital for us to understand. At times, when it comes to Mark fourteen. We're often reading it in light of Jesus, but um, there's a guy called Richard Borkham, who's a very boring speaker, but he's a brilliant thinker, uh, said, once said, he said, there's a whole lot of eyewitnesses, a whole lot of other people in the story that we often read past because we're looking through this lens of having to find Jesus. And as a result, we miss something that's really important for us. So today, that's what I want to have a look at in Mark 14. By the way, I'm not going to read all 72,000 verses. We're going to go through bits and pieces and probably going to miss some important things that you think are important. But I'll hopefully at the end of it, um, I'll either have you crying, I'll either have you really angry, or you'll go, just get on with it, let's go home and have some dinner. It doesn't matter, it's one of those three. But the thing about Mark 14 is as I read it for preparing today, I realized there's some amazing threads through it. And that's why I've said, you know, betrayal, abandonment and denial, such are the days of our lives. In Mark, this all happens within 24 hours. It's all happening very, very quickly. And what we often are looking for is we're seeing everyone as wrong. You know, if you're a husband, you know that you live your life in that space. Um, but, um, 
the fact is, is that when we look often through the likes of a, a Mark 14, we think, oh, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't be that. So we're going to have a look at some of the stories. So it actually starts with this amazing story. It's about uh, Jesus has been in Jerusalem, they say, for a, it's sort of the last week of his life, um, pretty full on. And he, he gets, says all these words that really peeves a lot of people off, really peeves a lot of people off. They're out to get him because he's undermining, as you've seen up till now, he's undermining their theology and he's undermining their authority and he's undermining their way of life because that's what Jesus does. He comes into your and my life and he turns you upside down. And sometimes we turn it back the other way because we like to control the narrative. This narrative is a narrative that's frustrating. By the way, it's like a good British film. This chapter doesn't finish well at all. And it doesn't finish. You can't just read it as a separate chapter. You've got to read the whole story to get the gist. So unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to give you a nice golden ending because the Bible doesn't allow that. When I teach um, scripture, at, I, I'm at Harvest Bible College teaching Bible and theology. Um, and when I teach, I always say we've got to look at the context, what comes before, what comes after. I'm not going to talk about what comes after because you get that next week. But what I also talk about is making sure that you read with eyes wide open so that your brain doesn't skip some things. And that's what we often do when we're reading. And it starts coming out of this week of Jesus getting up the nose of a lot of very important people. They're out to get him. And it says that the feast of the Passover was a couple of days away. So he hangs out in this place called Bethany. You know, it's like hanging out at your best mate's place. That's what Bethany was to Jesus. Um, some actually suggest that's possibly where he had his Jerusalem home. But he had a lot of friends there. It's a few K away from Jerusalem, so there's a lot of time. In Mark, you don't actually get him walking and talking telling jokes to the disciples. You know, there were three rabbis that walked in. And as, as, as he's walking between Jerusalem and Bethany, but you've got this movement between Bethany and Jerusalem. And we, we land in this place called Bethany at the house of Simon the, does anyone know? Leper. Can anyone tell me what's in the other gospel? Simon starts with P and ends in heresy. Pharisee. So another gospel, by the way, I'm trying to stay with Mark, but occasionally the other gospels enlighten us to who this person is. Now, to the people listening who weren't part of the original story, they would have gone, that's really weird. Because Simon the leper was called Simon the leper because he had had leprosy. And he was a Pharisee who had leprosy, which is even more freaky. So what did people tend to do with lepers? Cast them out like we do all Collingwood supporters. Absolutely right. That's right. <laughs> So we were in Simon the Collingwood supporter's house, okay, who had been redeemed and healed. Sorry, guys, just wanted to say that. Um, he had been redeemed and healed. He had been, he had been cleansed. And so he was hanging out with this ex-leper. Sounds quite Monty Pythonist, doesn't it? You know, oh, he's never healed. Oh, I've been healed. And you've got, this, you've got this guy, Simon the Pharisee, leper slash leper, and they're having a meal. And there's a number of groups of people there. There's the... There's Simon's mates and family, and then there's the disciples, and they're all sitting there. What they do, actually not like sitting there, they were reclining at the table. And it's really important that we realize right at the beginning, there's, there's two stories going on. There's the story of Jesus getting ready for something really important that's more next week, right? Would have, it's just a fascinating story. And there's all this other stuff going on because the disciples who 
Jesus had called had some dodgy theology. We'll look at some of that dodgy theology. In fact, they didn't get it, believe it or not, till after he had risen. The disciples did not really know who Jesus was. Matthew takes the story of who, I love that story about, you know, you are the Christ. Mark doesn't allow that you are the, you know, heaven and earth has told you this stuff. Paul, sorry, Peter and Mark is a bit ignorant of what he's saying. He didn't become a Christian at that point when he said, you are the Christ. He became the person that says, oh, we think you're the one that was promised to come. Right in Mark 8, lovely chapter. Who do you say that I am? You're this, there, who are you? You are the Christ. And then Jesus says, hey, by the way, I'm about to fulfill what I'm about to do in this week. I'm about to go to Jerusalem and die, right? And Pete says, you can't say that, Jesus. It says he pulled him aside. You can't say that. And says this, Jesus looked up, looked at his disciples and rebuked Peter. And you go, oh, why did he do that? It's a verse that we often look past. He rebuked Peter because later on, have you done the, um, the fig tree? You have done the fig tree, haven't you? Yeah. Later on, the disciples look at this withered fig tree and they're asking a lot of questions, but they dare not ask Jesus because they're really afraid of how he will react. Why? Because back in Mark 8, they realized they asked a stupid question. You can't say that, Jesus. Jesus, Peter is the spokesperson of the disciples. So all these disciples who still haven't got it are reclining with Jesus. Very significant time of the year for the Jewish calendar. It's the time where they celebrate not redemption from sin, but freedom and redemption from exile as slaves becoming people. Phenomenal, phenomenal story. The backstory to this is absolutely amazing. That's why I love that song. Um, the second song, last song that we sung, because it's talking about family. It's talking about belonging. And they were celebrating this in the midst of a really important festival. They were reclining at the house of Simon the Pharisee slash leper slash Collingwood supporter, right? We've got to keep that in mind. And, and, you know, they were basically sitting there. Simon had invited them to, um, Simon invites them for a meal. And, um, they were reclining at this table. Uh, it's, it's at a time where they were remembering who they were. They were a people who were redeemed out of slavery from Egypt and had become the people of God. And they were meant to be a witness to the world of what being a people of God looked like that basically removed slavery. It removed slavery. It removed the gods of the other nations who didn't like people who were poor, right? It sort of went like this. It went like God, kings, Rich people and powerful people, plebs, Kiwis, right? That's what happened. It was that hierarchy and every other God kept that thing going. If you're a king, you're a king because you were born a king. Didn't have to do anything. You were just a king. What did you do? You went out and kinged, right? If you're a pleb, you're a pleb because you were born a pleb. You'd never become a king. And by the way, God didn't really like you. How, how do we know? Because you weren't a king or wealthy and powerful. This was the backstory, you see, and, and God comes along and redeems the slaves of Egypt and calls them his people so that they could go out and be a witness to the rest of the world that it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, God likes you. We're all equal. We're all one in Christ, Paul, Paul, Paul puts it. This is the backstory to this, powerful. And here they are. This woman comes along now in another gospel. She's called a sinner. In another gospel, she's called a 
prostitute. In other words, we think, and Mark, she just called a woman, but the fact is that she's in this room with a whole lot of blokes. You've still got this hierarchy going on. And she comes and she starts anointing Jesus with oil. Now, scholars state that that's sort of preparing him for burial. So we often go down this ritual side. But remember, we're looking at the people involved, not just the stuff that's going on. And here's this woman that comes along and she starts washing Jesus' feet. Fascinating. Who washed whose feet in those days, according to the hierarchy? Slaves, not servants, slaves. Because you had two rungs. You had servants who had rights, and then you had slaves who had no name. What's your last name? Bunston. Sorry? Bunston. Yeah, no, no I heard you first time. <laughs> I heard you first time. Sorry. Yeah, that's really good. Did you know that a surname was actually a slave name? Only slaves in the, the few hundred years ago were given a surname. Is that right? So the Bunston is your slave name. How does that make you feel? Liberated. Fantastic. <laughs> Only slaves anointed feet. And here was this woman. By the way, we're not in John where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. We're in Mark where this woman comes along and it's probably her prized possession and she breaks it open and she becomes a slave to wash and anoint the feet of someone that we know looking back is really important. And you might say, yeah, but we would do that if we were in that room. I guarantee you wouldn't, depending on your position. Because that's not what people with money had. And you might say, but I don't have a lot of money. Have you got a mobile phone, Mr. Bunston? <laughs> You've got a mobile phone? You've got a computer at home? How many computers have you got at home? None? No computers? No, you have got a TV? Yeah, how many TVs? Do you have a car? Yeah. You're, 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 you're among that top echelon. God likes you. Yeah. Back then, <laughs> back then, God, God, you wouldn't do that. But this woman comes along and does something really amazing, and everyone gets really indignant. And what they do is they don't make it about the woman. They make it about the cost of the perfume. So there's something else going on. It's all about hierarchy and wealth. And like, the, the, you, what, what's going on here? What's going on? Jesus, do something. That perfume, notice she gets ignored. That perfume could have been sold and used for the poor, which, by the way, is part of Israel's story. They were meant to look after the, the, the widow, the orphan, the poor, the stranger, and the Kiwi. That's what they were meant to do. And Jesus says something really amazing. He said, Jesus said... By the way, I'm moving between the, the massage version of the Bible, which is nice. The message version is just nice and warm and fuzzy. So if, you, if you've got Bibles with you, um, I've got my iBible um, because I don't have an iPhone and that helps and it's got big print. Have you noticed actually, as, uh, for those who are getting older, I've got a conspiracy theory. They actually create shrinking ink. Because the older I've got, the bigger my print has had to be in the bigger the guy. Anyway, that's beside the point. So we've got the massage version of the Bible, and then we've got the normally incorrect version, the NIV, which actually is probably what most of you use. Um, so I'm flicking between that if you think it's a bit confusing. And here he says, Jesus says, let her alone. Why are you giving her a hard time? This is the massage version. She has done something wonderfully significant for me. 
You will always have the poor with you every day for the rest of your life. What he is saying is don't get caught up in what she's doing. If, if you're so worried about what she's doing, why weren't you already looking after the poor? Why weren't you using your wealth, your riches? I've just come away from this, the justice conference if you were there. It was fascinating. And so often what we do, we sit back and say, I can't do anything. And then we complain when someone's wasting something. And, you know, often the person that's poor in your community, all they need is a hug a word of encouragement, or as Jesus says, a cup of cold water. And Jesus is, is confronting their du, du, duality. They've got a dualism going on. Well, you could have sold that for the poor. He says, no, this woman has done an amazing thing. Whenever you feel like it, you can do something for them. Not so with me. She did what she could when she could. She pre-anointed my body for burial. Now, this is um, the massage version sort of brings that out. That's sort of the theology of that. And it says, and you can be sure that wherever the whole world, in the whole world, the message is preached, what she just did is going to be talked about admiringly. Here is a no-name woman. We still don't know her name, but she is famous. Why? Because she did the right thing. She gets it. She gets it. Fantastic. Jesus is confronting this theology. Who was in the room? His disciples. Who should have got it? Some Pharisees who were the law police. If you got something wrong in the law, they came out and hit you over the head with a big stick or in using a little big stuck. You know, you've got this thing going on with the Pharisees and yet they didn't remember their backstory. She should have been admired. She should have been named. She should have been included. So Jesus was confronting this. Fascinating. It says at that stage, when they complained, remember before that, the elders and the chief priests were looking for a way to get Jesus. They wanted to get Jesus and get him before the Romans to get him crucified. They wanted to kill him because he was really getting up their nose. And at this point, Judas Iscariot, who was, can you read that out? One of the 12. Now, we know that. You go, what's new? Remember, this is a good story. Mark's a really good storyteller. <laughs> Jesus, Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, went off to the chief priests in order to betray, literally to hand Jesus over to them. This word handing over is all the way through Mark. God hands over Jesus. Jesus um, um, Paul talks about it in his own thing. He said, this is the thing that was handed down to me. It's the same sort of term. It's about giving over something. And it's really, really important here because Judas went to hand Jesus over to them. Why he did that, we don't know. Now, one gospel spiritualizes it and says that a demon went into him and he went off and did that. Mark's not saying that because it's fascinating when you actually look at the rest of the chapter about who did what to who. It's fascinating. We go, Judas Iscariot, I'd never have him as a friend. Fascinating because when they were at the table, um, I'll come back to that. I thought I had another thing in there. <coughs> as they were, um, so uh, at that stage, Judas Iscariot goes off to betray them. Anyway, they, they get to the... Um, they get to the, 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 the Last Supper later on. And it's a fascinating meal because it's a meal that you, 
you sit and you remember what God has done, as I've said. It's this, it's this meal of remembrance. And so as they're sitting at the table, they're chatting away, and Jesus goes through the Seder process of there's actually four cups. There's a number of, of moments of ritual where they remember what God has done in order to not redeem them from sin, but to redeem them from slavery. This is the whole thing of the Passover meal. And Jesus goes through, and the first thing he says, he says, you know, this is my body which is broken for you. That's the first, oh my goodness, what's Jesus talking about? Because in the past, when they broke bread, they would break bread showing that this was something of what the the fellowship of what God was doing with the people. But Jesus makes an amazing thing with this symbolism. He said, this is my body broken for you. Remember, they still haven't got this crucifixion bit. They still don't know what it means to take up their cross daily and follow because it hasn't happened yet. They still think Jesus is Messiah, Christ. And you know what Messiahs do? They conquer. They rule. They come in and they get rid of Rome. If you wonder what I'm talking about, just look at the life of Brian. If you don't think it's a good movie, don't look at the life of Brian. But uh, in, in, in this, in this uh, the sense, um, they believe that God is going to bring this Messiah who's going to conquer and rule. So they still haven't got this cross bit. Because you see, the cross, and I'm stealing someone's thunder, was not a death of pain. It was actually a death of shame. It was the most shaming death. And what Rome used to do was they used to put people up on crosses and they used to strip them naked and as a way of shaming. And people would walk past and go, oh, what did that person do? And they'd put a sign above the head about what their crime was. And it was only given to those who were seditious against Rome and to non-Romans. Romans couldn't be, be crucified. right? So they didn't get this because messiahs don't get crucified because that's shameful and God's not a God of shame. God can't be shamed. God needs to be honoured. That was their theology, right? I'll leave that for some for next week. And it says, as they were going through the smell, he said, this is my body broken for you. And do this in remembrance of me. And every, every time we eat the communion bread, we're remembering this Jesus. And it says, came to the fourth cup, the cup of salvation, where God had saved them. And he said, this is my, the, the blood of, of a new covenant, my blood shed for you. They would have been going, what the hell are you, I'm sorry, what the heck are you talking about, Jesus? What are you talking about? Remember, Mark's a good storyteller. And the audience would have been going, can you do that? So every time he says something really bad, it would have gone, and Jesus says, this is my blood shed for you. And by this stage, a few of the disciples who were hangers on because there was more than just the 12 would have gone, yeah, that's it. I'm done. Jesus has stepped over the line too far. Did you know that in the early Roman times, Christians were known as atheists by the Romans because they didn't believe in the Roman gods and they were called cannibals because they ate bodies and drank blood. <laughs> it's all good. Anyway, you've got this thing going on with them and they're going, this is really strange stuff. And then he says, I'm going to be betrayed. He said, as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. These guys who had hung out for Jesus for at least three years, who had actually listened to his jokes and laughed at the right time, you know, it was all good, who had ate with him, who had, who had seen amazing things happen, one of them is going to hand him over. And at that stage, all of them would have gone, what? What? Oh, it's not me. Ah, it can't be me. Who is it? And Jesus said, one who 
is eating with me or dips their hand in the bowl. And we look at paintings and we say, well, it must have been Judas. He must have been really close because he would. every single one of those disciples had dipped their hand in the bowl with Jesus. And they all said, me? No, it's not me. Not me. No, it says, they began to be grieved and say to him one by one, surely not I. Love what the Greek says here. It's sort of emphatic. It sort of says, it says, mate ego, uh, and, and another said, mate ego. It's, Mark's not a good writer, so he adds extra words. But the way he writes, he's trying to show that one by one they said, mate ego, surely not I. And then there's going to be another. And then it, he says, and then another one said, surely not. They all went through it, the whole 12 of them and probably everyone else in the room. We wouldn't do that. But remember, we're talking about ordinary people. We're talking about ordinary people that still haven't got it. Who's got it? First of all, the no-name lady, who, by the way, was at the bottom of the pile. The disciples who Jesus had called haven't yet got it. His enemies, oh, you can expect that. You can expect his enemies to be out to get him. You've got enemies. You're an enemy to someone. They always ask you, do you know why they're, their enemy, they're, they're enemies? Why is an enemy an enemy? I'm not talking about the sea creature, I realise in my accent. An enemy is an enemy because they're nasty to me. They look different. They sound different. They act different. They're not like me and they don't like me. I can't trust them. That's why enemies are enemies. So you expect enemies to do that. But it's very interesting. We're going to decide who are the enemies in this story because there's something else going on for Mark. Surely not I. And he said to them, it is one of the 12, one who dips with me in the bowl, uh, in the bowl. for the Son of Man is to, is to go just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed or handed over. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. That is the worst sort of thought coming from Jesus. Oh, my goodness. And everyone would have been thinking about the other can't be me it must be them now we know already that Judas was going out to betray him and so we say yeah it's Judas it's Judas have you ever watched a tv program and said don't go there don't go in there watch out for that person that person's nasty don't talk to them it's like the bachelor isn't it don't talk to that person don't talk to that person they're nasty can't you see it and you yell at the tv screen we haven't yet got that thing sorted out yet where everyone can hear each other but this is what's happening in this story. We think that we know, oh, yeah, it's Judas, but we forget if you're reading through the story, we don't have a clue yet. We just know that Judas has gone off and made a deal, but Mark's not making that point. He's saying, don't go to Judas yet because there's more to it. And then they shoot off, and this is what I love about Mark. They've had this meal in Bethany, and then they shoot off a few kilometers to the, um, the Mount of Olives. The next verse, it says, and they went out to the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is a beautiful mountain, overlooks Jerusalem. If you've ever been there, um, doesn't have, didn't have those buildings in Jesus' time. Just want to say that's a fairly modern phenomenon. Um, and it didn't have that church at the bottom. Everywhere, sorry? Yeah, we're, sorry, been there. Yeah, right. yeah, a few people have been there. So I've been there. Um, that's not my photo. That's Google's photo. So praise God for Google. And you've got this, um, you've got, it doesn't have that church, but you've got this mountain called the Mount of Olives. What do you think is on the Mount of Olives? Olives. Olives, fantastic. Yeah, it's really good. They used to call things by their name. So you go to the Mount of Olives, and um, he, he says an amazing thing at this point. 
because he started this picture that's really unnerving. You're sitting having this really amazing remembering meal, right? Do this in remembrance of me. We're remembering our story. Hey, we're together in this. And he's just said some scary things. One of you is going to betray me. This is my body broken. This is my blood shed. <gasps> you know, you've got that. Okay, you've got that sort of thing going on. And then they shoot off. Next scene, boom, Mount of Olives, right? And he says, you think at the Mount of Olives because those who like olives, it's quite a nice experience, you know? And he says this amazing thing. He says, Jesus told them, and back into the message version, um, 14, 27 to 31, you're going to feel that your world is falling apart and that's my fault, Jesus says. It's my fault because the scripture says this, Jesus is quoting the Old Testament, I will strike the shepherd, the sheep will go helter-skelter. But after I'm raised up, I will go ahead of you, leading the way to Galilee. By this stage, they're going, what? They've just had a meal. By the way, it's getting dark. It's getting late. Do you know what people used to do when it got late in those days? What did they do when they got late, when the sun went down? Go to sleep. Absolutely. So this is foreign to them. Jesus is leading them on a journey. Do you know why they go to sleep when it's dark? Who hangs out in dark places? Bad people. Bad people, yeah. Thieves, murderers, Collingwood supporters, all of that sort of stuff. <laughs> you know, it's really, really good. It's, 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 it's a scary space. So here they are. It's at night in Jesus, and you think that they, they would say, say something nice to us, Jesus. And what does he say? Oh, yeah, um, things aren't going to go quite good. In fact, they're going to get worse. Are you ready for that? And people would have been going, this is not happening. This is not happening. Peter blurted out. Now, this is Peter, who I call the foot-in-mouth disciple. Every time he opens his mouth, he changes feet. He says stupid things. Just read uh, Mark 9. It's fascinating. I didn't know what to say, so he said something. That's a little bit like me. I'll often open my mouth. When someone says, we need an answer, I'll give an answer. Trudy will wait. She'll think about the answer, and then she'll give the proper answer. She'll respond well. I'll go, bah, but that's not what I mean. Hang on a minute. That's not, I mean, and, and then an hour later, I come to my point. By the way, I'm not going to be an hour. But that's okay. That's okay. Um, you've got Peter who blurts out, Boy, even if everyone else is ashamed of you when things fall to pieces, I won't be. I'm with you 100%, he says. Jesus says, don't be so, so sure. Today in this very night, in fact, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Three times. Peter blurted out in protest, even if I have to die with you, I'll never deny you. Remember, we're reading into the story. All the others said the same thing. You see, we have a picture of Peter that seems to be perfect. Peter picked a peck of pickled peppers. Thank you very much for that. What was it? No, that's right. Peter, Peter we've got often this idea. Why? Because he went out and he started uh, to lead the church into the new creation. But what we don't realize is Peter never got his character right. Peter never got his. He was this bolshy really full-on guy that always said, I'm with you, that said the right things and then responded differently because often his theology didn't match his praxis, which suggests that his theology was slightly distorted because, believe it or not, you practice what you truly believe. Your life leaks your theology which I'm suggesting Mark's actually challenging us to look at Peter in a slightly different light, not to be nasty to him, but to realize that sometimes the enemies that we think of the enemies are not 
really the enemies, but the enemies that are the enemies are those that we don't think are the enemies. But in reality, some of the things they do look a lot like that of an enemy. Don't ask me to repeat that. I can't remember that. Peter has a very interesting character in this. Even if I have to die with you, hold that intention. So then they went to this beautiful place at the bottom of the Mount of Olives. They have these, these olive groves, and they actually believe that this, these are the olive groves that Jesus walked them, the, tr- the olive trees that Jesus walked among. Some of these olive trees they've actually worked out are over 2,000 years old. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Is it? If it's like a good wine, it'll be very good olive. I don't like olives, so. but that's, um, she's a very nice lady. But you've got this olive grove that Jesus goes to, and he, and he pulls the disciples down at the base of the Mount of Olives into this olive grove. And he says, look, I've got to go away and pray. And we're waiting for this really liturgical prayer. Oh, Father, thank you that the world is... You know, and John has a beautiful prayer. John's prayer in John 17 is beautiful. Mark tells it as it is, right? And he calls the guys aside and he says, look, stay with me while I pray. Now, remember we said what time of the day is it? Nighttime, what do people normally do when it's nighttime? Sleep. They haven't had a chance to have their, their clocks adjusted. It's, it's only one day. So they're feeling fairly tired. So what do the disciples do? And we go, oh, I wouldn't do that. I'll leave that, okay? Um, it says they went to a place called Gethsemane. It means the wine press. Uh, it's fascinating. When else do we actually find the wine press back in the Old Testament? Starts with G and ends in Idion. He was hiding in the wine press. The wine press has this interesting space of salvation and redemption and frustration and fear. Gethsemane is a place of olive trees, but actually when you connect Gideon with Jesus, you actually find that Gethsemane is this place not of nice olives, but of fear and uncertainty because Gideon was hiding in the wine press when God came, the olive press when God came. And actually saved Israel. And here's Jesus. He took Peter, James, and John along. Now, I love James and John because they're called the sons of thunder. Have you ever wondered why the sons of thunder? Do you know why they'd be called the sons of thunder? They were probably really, and then when they want to find out who's going to sit beside Jesus' right hand and left hand, they get their mother. Because you always know that if you're really in trouble, your mother's going to help you, don't you? That's right. The mother always knows best. Always gets. But anyway, you've got Peter, James, and John, um, sort of the three that tend to hang out. And he says, come, come and sit with me for a while. And he goes away and he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. This is heavy words here. This isn't light words. This isn't to say, by the way, you can't say it with an accent like Matthew says it. My soul is overwhelmed to the point, of, which is often how we read the scriptures. We read it with this, you know, pious sort of voice going on in our brain. Even some of the audio Bibles have it that way. It was very monotone. No, this is actually, this is deep, deep grief. This is deep grief. Jesus is overwhelmed with what's about to happen. The disciples don't get it. Otherwise, they would be overwhelmed with it and they would stay with Jesus. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. How many times did he have to go back to them and ask them that? Three times. In his time of need, where were his disciples? Sleeping. What did Pete just say? 
I'm with you the whole way. Yeah. Even if I have to die. Not today. That's my accent. To die. I'm with you. But Jesus had to go back to him and he went and he prayed this prayer. Not once. He goes and prays the prayer. He says, Abba, Father, Dad, what I'm about to face is overwhelming. And he says, if possible, take this cup from me, this responsibility from me with this amazing, you, if you were listening to Jesus, I don't think it would be, Abba, Father, please take this cup from me. It would have been, oh, God, this is too much for me. Then he says an amazing thing, but not my will, but yours be done. Do you know what Adam and Eve said? Not your will, but mine be done. Some scholarship have actually looked at this and actually believed that this is the point of salvation. This is the reversal of Adam. I had to bring that in for you, Oz. Um, every time I speak, I, when Oz is in the room, I use Adam somewhere. But this is the reversal of the sin of Adam. See, we make the sin of Adam pride, but it's not pride. It's actually what happens in that pride. It was actually a lack of trust. God, you can't be that good because you've not given us this tree. Give you everything else, but I haven't given you this tree. And so Eve and Adam said, not your will, but mine be done, and, and screwed it up for the rest of us. Jesus reverses that. In the midst of his anguish and temptation and fear, and I believe it was a, a, a fear, ang fear anxiety, oh my goodness, it didn't break him, but it was there in his emotions. He was a totally human man. He turned and reversed that sin of Adam. And he said, not my will, but yours be done. Our Father who art in heaven. That's the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. If God is our Father, how do we respond to our Father? See, God isn't wanting slaves and servants. He's wanting children that sound and look, I, I've, look a lot like their dad. I came to an amazing conclusion recently that I sound and look a lot like my dad. And I'm proud of that now. From the time I was 18 to about the time I was 40, I wasn't proud of that. I didn't want to be my dad. And then my dad died and I realised actually when I heard all the, the stories, I want to be like my dad. Jesus was like his dad and that he said, not, it's not about what I feel, it's not about what would be nice, it's actually about what is necessary. And where were the disciples? Sleep. Do you know that the disciples are meant to look a lot like Jesus? That's our job, isn't it? Who, look a lot, who looks a lot like the Father. In other words, if we want to know what it means to be a child of God, we look at Jesus, who is the Son of God. We act like Jesus, and God goes, oh, here's another one. <laughs> it's really amazing. Yet the disciples are asleep, not far to go. Let's have a look at where we're up to. We've had three praying times praying, three times abandoned by those who said they will be with them. By the very ones who have said they will stand with Jesus, we find in this story, they leave him hanging. What do we do with that? It's very interesting um, that Luke brings this up. It says, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling on the ground. I love what some um, Hebrew scholars, Christian scholars, talk about where they talk about the redemption. You see, uh, um, Adam in the Old Testament, when God created human, humanity, called them, male and female, ha-adam. Say that, 
Ha-adam. Ha-adam. So that's humanity, right? It says here, Ha-adam, because Jesus by Paul, and I'm shooting outside of Mark for a minute, was called the second Adam, right? Here we have Ha-adam, Jesus, the new Adam, shedding his dam. Blood is dam. So we're of blood. Got that? Ha-adam means we're of blood. So Ha-adam, Ha-adam, sheds his dam. Now the ground is called the Adam-ah. Fascinating in Hebrew. Do you know how God created us? Played in the mud. And he reached down and he kissed us. And we became a living being, it says. He breathed his life. We're of both heaven and of earth. And here Jesus, this is what I love about some of the scholars that look at Gethsemane. They say what's really amazing is this is the point, the first point of a shedding of blood, where the blood dripped into the ground. And it was at that point the reversal of Adam that says not my will, but yours be done. And Adam, Ha-Adam, you and me, were actually redeemed in that moment. The Bible talks about the obedience of Jesus, that by obedience he took on what was required of him. And through that we have salvation. That's powerful. Unfortunately, that's outside of Mark. It's not Mark, but I wanted to bring that in. It's really, really important that we realize Gethsemane is far more than just a moment. It's a reversal. And it's a place of abandonment and betrayal by those who said they would be with them. At that stage, he says, right, time has come for the Son of Man to be betrayed. I don't think he said it like that, but that's sort of what happens. And along comes some soldiers with this guy called Judas. And it says here, the betrayer, Judas, had worked out a signal with them. The one that I kiss sees him. Now, it's fascinating when you look at the Greek. We're going to go into a little bit of Greek. I'm not far, far, far away from finishing. The Greek is phileso. Can you say that? Phileso, right? Derived from phileo, phileo, which means brotherly love. See, the kiss, the normal kiss is a different word. And here we've got Judas coming up and actually kissing him, saying, Rabbi, my teacher, the one whom I'm following, and he kissed him. The word for kiss there is kataphileso. He kissed them with the kiss of a friend. Do you get it? Do you get it? The betrayer kissed him with the kiss of a friend. Oh, my goodness. We've got something going on. When the original readers would have gone, how can you say that, Mark? But you see, that's what was happening. The betrayer approached Jesus not as an enemy but as a Friend. And you go, we know that, Grant. What are you talking about? Remember, we're talking about abandonment, denial, and betrayal. And it's fascinating how the story speaks to us about these disciples who should get it. So let's have a quick recap. By the way, I just had that there. Jesus went up in Mark 2 and said to the mountain and summoned those that he wanted, including Judas, including Peter, and including everyone else. Who have let him down. All the disciples cut and ran, it says in Mark 44, 50 to 51. All the disciples, not just Peter, who said, I'm with you and wasn't. Not just Judas. All of the disciples abandoned Jesus. All of them had said, we're with you. And we go, yeah, but do you know what's coming? No, they don't. They're acting out of who they are, their humanity. 
Not their true humanity, their false humanity, their distorted humanity. Let's recap. A prostitute who shouldn't gets it. The disciples who should don't. His enemies out to get him and a disciple who makes it possible. His friends all vow to stand by him but can't keep their eyes open and abandon him. A disciple who bromances him. All right? And the rest who run away. His enemies who grab him. And the chapter isn't even finished yet. Such are the days of our life. When all this was going on, after Jesus gets captured, he goes and he, he has this amazing story. Remember, we're not talking about Jesus. We're talking about some, some side people who are always the extras in a movie. Have you ever watched a Transformer movie? Yeah. Have you noticed how many people die in the first quarter of an hour? Who are they? I mean, it's really good. They get saved in the end. But who are these extras? I, I just get frustrated. I want to know these people who have just been crushed by the enemy and by the good people. You know, but anyway, you've got, these, you've got this thing going on. While Peter was going on, what was happening was Peter, they take, they take um, Jesus to this really disgusting place. It's a beautiful home, but it's into a, it's into a, night, um, a night court, basically. He's brought before these people who want to get him. And by the way, that was illegal. If you want to look at the legality of what went on, the whole process with the chief priests and the Sanhedrins was absolutely illegal. And even when Jesus took, was taken to Pilate, that was illegal. just want to say... But he's got this going on. And Peter follows from a distance. This is the guy who says, even if, even if we're about to I'll die with you. And where is he? I'm with you. A hundred meters behind in the shadows. Yeah. And you've got this guy that's going very quietly trying to look at what's going on because he knows, oh, my goodness, Jesus has been captured. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? How are we going to help him? We've got all these people going on. And Peter's sitting in this space. It's dark. Remember, it's at night. So he's standing beside the fire. And remember what Jesus had said? Seeing Peter warming himself, looked hard at him and said, you were with that Nazarene Jesus. You were with Jesus. So what does Peter say? Nah, not me. Nah. And a rooster crowed. I like that. Mark says, a rooster crowed. And you're going, <laughs> do, 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 do. and you've got this movement of the story of going, what's going to happen? We know what's coming up. Peter doesn't. I don't know what you're talking about. He went out into the porch, so he walked away from that person who sort of recognised him. The girl spotted him and began telling people, standing around, hey, hey, come, come, he was with this Jesus that's there. And again, he denies it. Dun, 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 dun. And after a little while, the bystanders brought it up again. You've got to be one of them. You've got Galilee written all over you. The first week that I was in Australia, I opened my mouth and people said, you're from? Where? Why? It leaks from me. That's right. My accent. My accent. You're one of those. Why? You've got Galilean written all over you. You look like, you sound like, you smell like. And again, Peter curses. He just doesn't say he denies it. No, that's not me. It says, Peter got really nervous and swore and cursed. Now, the curses was, God, if I'm telling a lie, kill me, smite me. This is the sort of curse, this is the strength of this word. Absolutely fantastic. This is Pete who said, I will never deny you. I will be with you the whole way. Pete was his right-hand man. I will never be with you. Pete should have got it. He didn't get it. And the chapter ends because at that moment, the rooster crowed again and it says, and Peter wept. And Peter wept. This is a chapter of... Denial and abandonment, not from those who you would expect it. 
but from those who you wouldn't expect it. And I wonder if every time they had a communion meal where it says, do this in remembrance of me, they didn't just remember the good stuff, the glory stuff. But I think for the first few meals, Peter would have remembered how he actually let Jesus down. I wonder if they talked about, hey, remember when Jesus did this, wasn't it fantastic? He healed the leper. You know, and oh, yeah, that last week was really, oh, hang on a minute. That last week wasn't quite good. Because you see, in the remembering, we're not just meant to remember who we are and what God has done, but we're also to remember who we once were and who we can become. See, the communion meal isn't one just of remembering this glorified, polished Jesus. It's actually about remembering who we are. It's the meal of redemption, of becoming not a people, changed into a people of God. And I think that every time Jesus was remembered at this meal, it would have been hard to ignore the way that you thought, well, fantastic what Jesus did, but I wish I could go back and change yesterday. I wish I could go back and change yesterday. Many of us live with regrets of who we're not, what we should be and could be. You see, we know those who have betrayed us and we carry that. We know those who have hurt us and abandoned us. But what we've got to realise is that Judas was not only the one who betrayed Jesus, he was the one who fought with Jesus and stood by Jesus on the other three years. Peter, the foot-and-mouth disciple, who went out and helped establish us. He was the one who said, I'll always be with you, and then denied Jesus three times. The betrayer, sorry, the betrayed can also be the betrayer. The abandoned can also be the abandoner. The enemy can become a friend, but the friend can also become an enemy. And you might say, oh, that's not me. But each one of us carries some of that. We carry the shame of what we could have done better. And we often carry that into adulthood and into our future. And it's out of that framework, rather than who we've become, that we live and we respond. Paul had to pull Peter up a few times. I'm a Pauline scholar. I I spend a lot of time in Paul. Paul had to pull Peter up because even after Jesus had gone, the Holy Spirit had come and the church was established, Peter still had this struggle, this tension between who he once was and who he is. The reality is we can't change that. I was talking to a person yesterday at the Justice Conference who was struggling with an addiction and they go to a 12-step program and he reminded me of what the 12-step program reminds them and us all when it comes to our past, our present and our future. Yesterday they pray is gone. We can't do anything about it. Tomorrow's an opportunity. It's there, but, but it's not here yet. All we've got is today. And my hope for you as you read through chapter 14 that doesn't finish well, it leaves us hanging like a good British movie, is that you won't look at the Judases and the Pharisees and say, we don't like those people. 
but the allow the text to speak to you to say, I could very easily be the Judas to someone, just as someone has been a Judas to me. Not to leave us hanging in that despair, but to recognize we know the end of the story. And the story is one where Jesus stands up to the disciples who abandoned him, the disciples who rejected him, the disciples who betrayed him, the disciples who didn't get it, and says, come on, guys, we've got a job to do. And that was post chapter 14, chapter 14, so I'm going to leave that for next week. But the fact is that the story doesn't end because, you see, this isn't a story to make us feel guilty and hopeless. It's actually a story to rec- help us recognize we're just like those people. But the great thing is God looks past that and gives us a way beyond that. I've spoken for a little bit long, and I do apologize. It's a great story. I figured that we'd actually sit and watch a movie for three hours. <laughs> but, 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 but the fact is, is this, and I'm not trying to be flippant. Each one of us carries that. And I want us to pray. I, I think we will. Is, is that okay? Can we, have we got a moment? Is that all right? I, I think that I want to, I, I want to, I don't want to pray for everyone in the sense of, um, it's not me that's important here. It's all of you guys. You're an amazing community. You've got great people around you. I want people, if you feel either, in that place of betrayal and you don't know what to do with it. Or if you feel like you've carried the heart of a betrayer. If you've been abandoned or you feel like you've been the abandoner. If you feel like at times you've been an enemy to someone. I want you, as Paul comes and plays and and M comes and plays just in behind, I want us to spend a moment where you just, first of all, thank God for two things. Thank you that that doesn't define you and God doesn't see that. He sees you as a person who he has called because he wants to. He called those who he wanted to. And by the way, you're all wanted. And the great thing is, is that the power of what Jesus does for us in the cross and the resurrection is that that can be broken and it doesn't have to define us. And I want you just in a moment to sit and ponder that and say two things. First of all, thank you, God that just as you were betrayed and could find forgiveness in my betrayal from someone else, I can forgive them. That may be really hard. But Jesus makes a way that he forgave those who broke him, abandoned him. Second of all, if you've been in that space of being the betrayer, the abandoner, I want you just to say, God, Thank you that that doesn't define me tomorrow. Yesterday's gone. We can't do anything. We've got today. And today you can be free from the guilt and the shame of that. And it's just giving that over to God and saying, God, thank you that in the story of chapter 14, in the story of the cross and the resurrection, we're not bound by our past. We're free in our present. And then if you would like, um, I don't want to make it a public thing actually, I, I just like if you feel like you need prayer, I want you to actually go to someone after the service and ask them to pray with you is that alright? Um, but let's, let's just spend a moment just thinking about that let me pray, Father I thank you that your story is a story of frustration, a story of denial, a story of abandonment, a story of, of, of enemies those who should get it, don't get it, those who shouldn't get it, do get it and we're confused Lord because We stand in that space where we're your disciples and Lord, yet 
there are times when we've betrayed others or we've been betrayed. We've abandoned and, and been abandoned. But Lord, thank you that your story tells us in you there is freedom. Freedom from hurt and freedom from guilt and shame. So I pray in this moment, Spirit, as you move among this group, that you will be the comfort of the one who comes alongside to set us free from guilt and shame and to heal us of hurt and pain. In Jesus' name.